Good morning, everybody. Happy Save Big Dog Day 2. And welcome to the News Agenda Explained with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by The Mirror's Deputy Political Editor, Ben Glaze. Good morning, Ben. Hello, good morning, Susie. There he is. What a lovely kitchen. It's nice seeing people's kitchens. The one thing I like about the pandemic is seeing what people where people live. Now, this is the People's Paper Review. So get into the comments. Ask us your questions. Those of you listening later, catching up on the podcast, you're just going to have to open a window and scream at the sky. So what have we got for you today? Well, uh, the mirror has splashed on a warning to Tory MPs that our nation's integrity and decency are in their hands as they vote tomorrow on whether to refer Prime Minister Boris Johnson to Parliament's Privileges Committee. If successful, that would mean uh, the committee has an investigation into whether or not he misled MPs. A review, possibly, of Sue Gray's report, and they might also look at any photographic evidence they can find lying around. Now, the Prime Minister spent two days, two hours yesterday, it felt like two days probably, but two hours being blasted in the Commons yesterday from all sides, including his own backbenches, uh, and he looking as hand dog as you like. But it was a fine moment for Labour leader Keir Starmer, who had a great time. Here is a clip of his speech taking the PM apart one sliver at a time. This morning, I spoke to John Robinson, a constituent of the member for Lichfield. I want to tell you his story. When his wife died of COVID, John and his family obeyed the Prime Minister's rules. He didn't see her in hospital. He didn't hold her hand as she died. Their daughters and grandchildren drove 100 miles up the motorway, clutching a letter from the funeral director in case they were questioned by the police. They didn't have a service in the church. John's son-in-law stayed away because he would have been the forbidden seventh mourner. Doesn't the Prime Minister realise that John would have given the world to hold his dying wife's hand even if it was just for nine minutes. But he didn't, because he followed the Prime Minister's rules. Rules that we now know the Prime Minister blithely, repeatedly and deliberately ignored. After months of insulting excuses, today's half-hearted apology will never be enough for John Robinson. If the Prime Minister had any respect for John, and the millions like him who sacrificed everything to follow the rules, he'd resign. But he won't, because he doesn't respect John. He doesn't respect the sacrifice of the British public. He is a man without shame. Phew. Well, uh, as some of our viewers there have said, he did a great job yesterday. Now, Ben, the Prime Minister apologised 90 times in Parliament yesterday, although to me it sounded like the same one apology just said over and over again. Do you think that settled the concerns of either the country or his own backbenchers? No, very much uh, hasn't. I was in the chamber for most of the uh, Prime Minister's statement yesterday um, and it was a really sombre atmosphere um, in the Commons. Uh, You know, the Prime Minister, he'd gone there, you know, determined to try and tough this out, um, you know, he said, in, you know, I apologise in all humility um, and then rather quickly moved on to the Ukraine because the, the update yesterday, the Prime Minister's statement, it was actually listed on the order paper as Easter recess government update. 
um, which is quite vague. Uh, we all knew it was going to take in this this apology from Partygate and then go on to the Ukraine to try and switch the narrative. Um, but Keir Starmer's, I, I actually personally think it was Starmer's best performance um, against the Prime Minister. And obviously it hasn't come at Prime Minister's questions. It has come in this statement. He seemed to finally find, find his, his voice, really. Um, you know, he's, he's this lawyer, this forensic, um, you know, studies evidence and then uses it. And people from his legal career, they say he was always more popular with judges than with juries when he was in court. Well, yesterday, you know, he was facing the court of public opinion, um, Keir Starmer, and that was his jury when he was trying to prosecute the Prime Minister, if you like. And I thought he did a very good job of it. Um, and he totally skewered Boris. Um, in terms of has he done enough? No, because the polls keep showing that people think Boris Johnson lied about Partygate. Um, and yesterday we had a quite senior Conservative backbencher, the former Chief Whip Mark Carper, who's the MP for the Forest of Dean, he publicly on the floor of the House called for the Prime Minister to go, um, said he wasn't worthy of the great office of Prime Minister. And then a few moments later, he published on his Twitter the letter he sent to um, the 1922 Committee of Conservative Backbenchers. Now, of course, you remember that's the committee that if they receive 54 letters, it triggers a vote of confidence in the Prime Minister. Now, they're nowhere near getting those 54 letters, as I understand. No, they're about 14 at the moment or something. Yeah, and of course, like, back in early January, mid-January, when Partygate was really at the top of the agenda, obviously before the invasion of the Ukraine, um, there were several dozen letters were in, uh, we think. Um, obviously, nobody ever knows, because it's only Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of the committee, who, who truly knows how many letters he's received. But we do know that several letters have been withdrawn. So once they're in, they're not there in perpetuity until a confidence vote. The MPs have written them, can then ask for them to be pulled again. And we know that that's happened because a few MPs have said so publicly. So I don't think there is any immediate danger to Boris Johnson. Now, he's got Minister's questions at noon today, again, up against Keir Starmer, of course, for just uh, half an hour. And then later this afternoon, you see early evening, Prime Minister flies to India for a three-day trip. Um, now, this vote tomorrow um, that will take place in the Commons, that will decide whether or not the matter of whether the Prime Minister deliberately misled the House, that is to say, didn't do it accidentally, didn't think he was telling the truth, that he deliberately lied, and proving that is obviously quite difficult in and of itself, but that will be voted upon. Now, it isn't, or it's, it really isn't going to, to fly on the floor of the Commons tomorrow because Conservatives have a working majority of 75. Um, okay, Boris Johnson is going to be in India, the Chancellor's going off to um, uh, a conference in the US, International Monetary Fund conference, but there are enough Tory MPs who will still choke through the lobbies to support the Prime Minister and make sure that this doesn't make it to the Privileges Committee. Because as you said, um, if it did, that committee can then demand uh, various documents and particularly photographs that we understand exist of the PM drinking alcohol at at least one, possibly more of these events. Yeah, exactly. Now, June says, good morning, June. I know people who worked for local councils and broke the rules. Should they also resign? I think the issue there, June, is whether or not they lied about it and what their jobs might be. If they denied it 30 odd times, 
including to the entirety of the British public, and said the rules are followed at all times. I had no idea there was anything, nothing resembling a party happened. I've been assured there were no parties. Then I didn't know they were parties. Then they were all work events. And then I was furious when someone laughed about a party and I made sure that person resigned. And then, oh, yeah, now I do seem to have been at a party. Uh, Whoops-a-daisy, it wasn't a party, but I paid my fine anyway. Then maybe they should resign, June. But if they just, you know, if they partied, broke the rules, took their punishment, took their beating and were honest from the start, then no, that's kind of the point. If Boris Johnson had been a bit more, bit more honest at the beginning, we wouldn't be where we are now. Now, Mike says, good morning, Mike. Can we still say Boris Johnson is taking the public for fools when virtually none of the public believe a word he's saying? The only people he's taking for fools are the ministers he trots out to defend the indefensible. He's got a good point there, Mike. Um, uh, hasn't he been because he's talking about really how he's how he's making his his cabinet go out there to defend him and he had this meeting with his party's parliamentary party last night where the prime minister was a bit more upbeat than he was in the commons he accused the archbishop of canterbury of having it in for him he said the bbc despite the wall-to-wall coverage for the past two months was not mentioning ukraine as often as it should be um but there was one really sticky moment which i think perhaps is going to um, mean more trouble for the for the public as well as his party. There's, in that meeting, apparently one MP asked him whether the notorious party in the Downing Street flat, the one where his wife, Carrie, uh, reportedly popped champagne and played the winner takes it all at full volume to mark the defenestration of her arch enemy, Dominic Cummings. He was asked whether that was a work event. And the prime minister replied that it was. Now, I'm pretty certain in previous suggestions, Ben, uh, that Carrie's spokeswoman has said that that, what, that event didn't even happen, that there was no such event. Now the Prime Minister is saying there was an event and that it was a work one. And we all know it's being investigated by police. Um, and we know that ABBA songs are very rarely feature at gatherings that are reasonably necessary for work events. Uh, you know, the usual meeting that you might have at work doesn't have champagne in. At least yeah. I wasn't going to. I was going to the wrong workplace. It, do you think the Prime Minister's insistence that everywhere he or his wife goes is a workplace, do you think that's going to mean that he's going to face more of this in the weeks to come? Number 10, I'm uh, very worried because the one event that the Prime Minister's been fined so, fined over so far is the least egregious as far as they were concerned. This, you know, the one where he, it's his birthday, goes into the Cabinet room um, for a meeting that's due to take place and is presented supposedly with this cake that may or may not have left the Tupperware box and can of Estrella and people there singing happy birthday. Well, that was during work time and they were colleagues. So if he was going to get away with anyone, people inside Downing Street believe that was the one. So there's half a dozen of the 12 events that the Met are investigating um, the Prime Minister was believed to be at. So if he's been fined for that one, well, then it could logically follow that he gets another five fines because those were worse. Now, the worst of the lot, as far as we understand it, is this event that took place up in, in the flats in Downing Street um, where Abba song was played and apparently Carrie Johnson um, was celebrating, yeah, the removal of uh, Dominic Cummings from the Downing Street operation. Um, it is going to be more difficult to defend that, Uh but he is. He's using the same defence. It's a work event. But he, whilst using that defence, he obviously has already paid up for the first fine where he believes, you know, that was the, the, the most offensive of the lot and he didn't defend it. 
So if the Prime Minister is fined over the flat event, then I don't think he's going to be trying to quibble that. Um, the problem, and it doesn't seem to be a problem for the Met when they're investigating and deciding who's going to get fined, is, of course, Downing Street is part workplace, is part home for the Prime Minister. Um, not for Carrie, it has to be said. She doesn't work in number 10. Um, it's, it is her home. But for Boris Johnson, it is part work, it is part home. Um, but given that he has already paid out on the fixed penalty notice, the 50 quid for the first fine, the one that was issued last week, you can expect that if he does get more, then he will be paying up as we go along. And we could get more these really embarrassing, humiliating appearances at the dispatch box where he comes along um, and makes these supposedly grovelling apologies, gets completely rinsed for two hours in Parliament, um, and then we all just carry on as if nothing's happened. Yeah, well, I don't know how sustainable that might be. Now, keep asking us your questions, everybody. I know that the comments seem to be broadly negative about Boris Johnson, but we are trying to maintain a semblance of balance and put in the occasional positive ones. So if you feel that you're being ignored, uh, you're not. Um, so what do you think about Boris Johnson's chances? Has he has he allayed your concerns? If you had any, do you still have them? Do you think he should go? Do you think he should stay? Now, uh, Amanda, hashtag poor Dave Jackson. I don't know if that's her real name. Uh, says the Labour Party are hanging on to this, winding up the public when, quite frankly, there is much more important things to be thinking about. It's not the time for change. It's the time to stick together. And she's got a point then, I suppose, because as many of the and Sarah says Tories have to decide whether to save Boris or save themselves. Um, there's lots of discussion sort of in the Tory benches that this isn't a time to change a leader, even though we're not actually at war. It's worth pointing out. Ukraine's the one that war. Uh, and on page five, we've got Kevin Maguire saying that the prime minister's authority is shot and Alistair Campbell saying we are weakened on the world stage. The PM's off to India today. I tried to convince them to buy more British weapons rather than the Russian ones. And let's face it, considering what's on the news, he's got a hell of an advert for Star Street missiles at the moment. Um, strike while the iron's hot, Boris. But I suppose the question, Ben, is whether he has as Manda said there, really, whether he has the ability anymore to convince his party to protect him. He lost a lot of credibility with the Owen Patterson business. He's lost a more with this. Um, then maybe there's quite a few are going to abstain in this vote on Thursday. But if the Tories got rid of him now, they could, in theory, get a clean skin prime minister in to run for the next election. They've still got time to do that. Um, leaving him in power suits Labour down to the ground, doesn't it? Keir Starmer would love to face this guy at the next general election. I'm quite torn about this because whilst you've got a damaged Prime Minister at the moment, um, who, yeah, if he's still there in two years, or less than two years now for the next general election, um, then he's the parting Prime Minister who, you know, had all these bashes in Downing Street while the rest of us were confined to our homes. That's the case for keeping him there if you're Labour, getting rid of him if you're the Conservatives. The flip side, of course, is he's also the Prime Minister who won an 80-seat majority two and a half years ago, who got Brexit done, to use their phrase, um, reduced the vaccines uh, the rollout, um, and has now has led the way. There's no two ways about this. Has led the way in arming Ukraine from the West perspective. Um, and we are two years out from a general election. A lot can happen. Um, now, if you're these Red Wall MPs, you didn't win your seat, right? Like Jeremy Corbyn helped you win your seat because he was such a, a bad proposition as a prime minister. 
Brexit helped you in your seat because you voted, you know, you're, those constituents in the Red Wall voted for Brexit and it'd been held up because of parliamentary paralysis. And Boris Johnson won you your seat because of his false personality and the fact that he is, everyone acknowledges, a great campaigner. Now, if you're one of those MPs who's deciding whether or not you oust Boris Johnson before the election, you get rid of the greatest campaigner of his generation and you did all those things in the positive um, bank, who are you going to replace him with? And you've got to accept, like the Tories will lose seats the next election. I'm, I'm convinced of that. How many depends on who is the prime minister. I don't see who is there to replace Boris Johnson, who could, could even hope to win some of those seats that he did win. Mm-hmm. And a lot can change in two years. You know, two years ago, we were just starting um, the, the pandemic. We were in the first month of our lockdown, right? Look at everything that's happened since then. There is opportunity, if you're Boris Johnson, to win it back. If you're Tory MPs and MPs, right? So Tory MPs are more ruthless than in any other party um, in the Commons at getting rid of leaders they think are liabilities. Look at what I'm doing, Duncan Smith, um, in 2003, after two years leaving the party. It was a disaster. They realised which way the wind was blowing, got rid of him. Didn't have such a disaster at the 2005 general election, which then paved the way for David Cameron to go and win the 2010 general election. If they think it's in their interests, their self-interest, self-preservation, keeping their seats, keeping their jobs, keeping being able to pay their mortgage, they'll get rid of him. Equally, if they think they're more likely to win the general election with him still in charge, they'll keep him. It's that calculation that needs to be made. The longer they wait, the more difficult it is to get rid because you, you won't do it a year out from an election because you look like a, a you know chaotic party. I mean, it's arguably it's a chaotic party at the moment anyway, obviously with Boris Johnson leading it. But a party in chaos with a new leader a year out from a general election, that doesn't smack of firm, safe, responsible, reliable government. So well, there's nothing think, at the moment smacks of firm, oh, safe, reliable or responsible government. And we're still two years out. The decision is is going to be have to, going to have to be made soon. The longer they wait, the more reasons you can find for inaction. But remember, doing nothing is an option, is, is a decision in itself. Yeah. And perhaps they're going to be waiting till after the local elections and see what impact there is then, because they're often uh, won and lost midterm on the basis of national politics. Now, Shannon says someone in our village had a party like Boris. Did he? Was it just like Boris's? Was there wine and cheese? Uh, and he got a 10 grand fine. And Boris only got 50 quid. That's wound up everyone where I live. I bet as well, Shannon, the person in your village who had a party like Boris admitted it pretty quickly um, and, you know, didn't have quite the same advantages that Boris Johnson had in trying to defend himself. But in terms of, I suppose, uh, you know, whether, whether Boris Johnson is going to be an electoral liability or not, or this government is going to be electoral liability and get re-elected in a couple of years' time, Uh, Let us know. Get into the comments. Ask us your questions. Do you think Boris is going to survive this? Do you think throwing forward to two years, everything will have moved on? Or is this something you're still going to care about later on? Um, Because YouGov has an extraordinarily damning poll out today, slaughtering the government on pretty much every major issue. So the net ratings they have inflation. The Tories are on minus 60 immigration minus 58 that's just having said they're sending people to rwanda tax minus 52 housing minus 47 the nhs is on minus 45 points economy welfare crime transport and environment brexit education they're all minus figures big ones the only positives uh, in the poll are defense and terrorism where the tories are polling well now 
the cost of energy, you know, that cost of living crisis doesn't seem too bad for us in warm weather. But on page two, our colleague Aletha Adu is reporting that 40% of Britain will be in fuel poverty by the winter. And she says even the bosses of energy firms want the government to do more than it has to ease the burden of in the October budget. So lots of people, Ben, think that Rishi Sunak will do that in October. He's desperate to salvage his reputation and to keep his job. The entire country wants him to find some money to, to ease the energy burden. But is he going to do enough and how is he going to pay for it? When we hear today from the IMF that Britain's got the highest inflation and the most stagnant economy in the G7, those are the kind of things that are still going to matter in two years, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, the energy price crisis is only going to get worse. Um, we've got a budget due in October, but also in October is when the latest review of the energy price cap uh, is due. Now that could send bills up by another £800, £900, depending on the wholesale prices on the world markets, it could even be up to a grand. Um, you know, the price cap went up by £693 uh, well, at the start of this month. Now the government did a little bit to, to help, but it's basically loaning you money, um, nowhere near enough to pay the, the increase in the bill. And it is a loan because you have to pay it back over time through the increase in your bills. Um, if this continues, it really will be very difficult for, you know, we talk about the hard up families and the poorest households in society very often. This isn't even just the hardest up households, the poorest. You know, those superlatives, it's not just them, it's quite a lot of people. It's people on average incomes now will be struggling. Now this um, page two story in today's paper came out of an appearance at a common select committee yesterday by um, a host of energy bosses. Um, and it was, uh, it was the E.ON boss, Michael Lewis, who said, and I'll quote now, we're looking at 30 to 40% of people going into fuel poverty when prices go up in October. That's four out of 10 people in the country will be paying 10% of their disposable income on, on their gas and electricity. That's an awful lot of people paying an awful lot of money um, to keep warm and to, to, you know, put the lights on in their house. Um, the government is, is really struggling for what to do because, you know, this blown 400 billion pounds on the coronavirus pandemic, um, obviously money that needed to be spent, PPE, um, extra money for the NHS, the furlough scheme. Some of it didn't need to be spent because it was nicked. Well, but the various business support um, money, and then now they've got to try and find money to alleviate um, these bills that we're all facing. You know, th th they are going to go up hugely again in October. And of course, when they went up this month, I mean, it's bad because you've got to pay it out. But of course, you can, because it's the spring and going into summer, you can turn the heating down a bit. You know, the lovely warm weather over the Easter weekend, you didn't have the gas on so much, presumably. When it goes up in October, that's autumn. That's the start of winter. People will be cranking the heating up as the temperatures go down. That's when you're really going to notice there's a lot more. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna all bite at exactly the same time later on. Now, go into the questions, uh, get into the comments, ask us your questions. Uh, are you worried about October? How is your heating bill looking so far? Uh, as Ben just said there, we are all turning the heating off at the moment this time of year. And perhaps the, the price rises, we're, you know, we're not suffering as much from them as perhaps we could be in many cases. But it's going to really kick in 
uh, come the autumn. And that's when it's just about to rise again. So it'll have a have a double impact, double whammy at the same time. Um, so we're going to wrap up on some of your questions at the end. Uh, let us know how you feel about Partygate. Is it all over as far as you're concerned? Are there things you're still worried about? Do you think there's a, a contender for the leadership or is are we, is Boris going to have to leave the Tories into the next election? How do you think he's going to do? Let us know. But first off, there is some good news in the world. And because Ben loves these kind of stories, it's been chosen just for him. Here it is. Now, a lady called Victoria Hogan was taking her dog, little border terrier there, uh, Frida, for a walk through Licky Hills. Of course, where else? Uh, and Frida, because she's a terrier, went down a badger set and she got stuck there. Now, Victoria spent eight days camped outside that hole. The fire brigade was called. The Badgers Trust came along. They put down listening devices, couldn't hear anything. They declared defeat, went home. Uh, and eventually Victoria was, you know, she was even frying bacon outside the hole, blowing, <sighs> blowing the smell in to try to get Frida out. Eventually she had to admit defeat and she went home, leaving Frida's bowl and blanket behind. But then four days later, hooray, she got a phone call saying that Frida had somehow got herself free and had been found collapsed but alive by the roadside. And she's now there being nursed back to health. She's got a few scratches on her and she's not terribly happy. But Ben... Is this proof, as if any of us actually needed it, that the smell of frying bacon can revive any living creature, no matter what kind of a hole you're stuck in? Well, what a lovely story, yes. Um, Frida didn't actually come out to the frying bacon, but may have, you know, her interest may have been stirred. They well have given her the urge, let's face yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, to, to emerge a few days later. I'm just thinking the bacon did for Frida what, uh, the complete opposite of what it did to Ed Miliband's political career, didn't it? <laughs> Um, one thing as well that does intrigue me slightly about this story is the picture, you see the, the bottom right picture there of Frida um, standing by the, the badger set that, uh, that she dived into. You see, she's on a lead there, isn't she? Yeah. I suspect she probably wasn't on a lead when she dived into the badger hole 12 days earlier, which um, maybe if she had have been on a lead, uh, this would never have happened and the Badger Trust and the Fire Brigade would have come out and the bacon could have stayed in the pan in the kitchen rather than <laughs> being left down hole. Not letting your dog off a lead is always a bit unkind. It's a bit like walking mm -hmm. you round on a leash, Ben. You'd rather be off, wouldn't you, and uh, and having your freedom. But I'm afraid really terriers do yeah. tend to go down holes when they see them because that's what they're bred for. But bacon, it's got power of rejuvenation for anyone on anything maybe who knows maybe it can do that for the career of the prime minister we'll just have to wait and see see how long he sizzles for now um got a few questions to wrap up on on the end so uh bob says this is the most nasty labor campaign to get rid of a good prime minister we are on the verge of world war three we have the cost of living crisis and other things happening and all the labor prats can go on about is having a drink they're pathetic uh, Bob, you're quite right, but I'd, I'd uh, raise your that Labour are making an absolute fuss about it. But I'd raise you further and go back to those figures in the YouGov poll: minus sixty on inflation, uh, minus fifty-eight on immigration, minus fifty-two on tax. You know, tax immigration is supposed to be the Conservatives' open goal. They should be good at this kind of stuff, and they appear to be very bad at it at the moment. So perhaps not the greatest Prime Minister we've seen, as far as lots of people are concerned. 
regardless of how they vote. Now, Mike is back. He says, I know it's the political reality, but it's a pretty damning indictment of Tories that lying and law-breaking aren't considered wrong in and of themselves, even by the holder of the highest office. Only keeping seats and power matters to them. Now, Keir Starmer was saying yesterday, Ben, that if, if the Prime Minister had any integrity, he'd resign. And lots of people are going, well, it's only a fixed penalty notice. Why should we? You know, it's not that important. But as Kirsten also pointed, he, the, the last minister to get a fixed penalty notice and lie about it uh, ended up in jail. And so did his wife. And Kirsten knows about that because he prosecuted Chris Hoon, who it was, and Vicky Price, uh, and, and led that campaign. So this is actually fixed penalty notices are actually still quite important, aren't they? Uh, I think, so the point... Keir Starmer was making it was obviously that it was the lying about it. The fixed penalty notice in itself was important, but obviously the fact that, you know, it's a cover up that gets you always. Um, the fact that Chris Hewn and Vicky uh, Price conspired to pervert the course of justice is what landed them in prison rather than the fixed penalty notice themselves. But of course, the foreign minister stands accused of deliberately misleading, lying to parliament. Um, and yeah, the, the difference, I think, and going back to one of um, the earlier questions, about the chap who hosted the, um, the party and got the 10 grand fine. I think that's because he organised it, I presume, because the, the fines for organising an illegal gathering were 10 grand. Um, now, the Prime Minister, the, the difference, of course, is the Prime Minister made those laws. Now, the people who make the laws should not break the laws. Um, the rest of us obviously have to obey them, but it's not like you can, it's not a defence to say, well, uh, you know, I didn't make it. But those that, do make the laws, they are they are held to a higher standard precisely because they are making the laws and they expect everyone else to abide by them. And then, of course, if you flip to the Prime Minister's defences, we could take it that he was too stupid to realise what the law he made said. Well, then why was he making laws that were too complicated for him to understand how, if he was literally writing the law, how were the rest of us supposed to understand them? Is that not a defence ev for everyone who got fines over um, illegal gatherings over the past two years of the pandemic. Yeah, and if you can't understand the need to not have a party, should you be running a country? Who knows? Uh, now, our last comment, Norma, Norma Paddock says, there's nothing more important than having a trustworthy government. And we have a proven untrustworthy prime minister who is clearly putting pressure, even blackmail, we don't have any evidence of that, but perhaps on his cabinet to protect him from his own dishonesty on pain of losing their jobs and political future. And of course, Norma, the possibility is they'll lose their political future anyway. We'll have to wait and see, won't we? Thank you for joining us, Ben. Thank you for taking part, everybody. Those of you listening on podcast, please leave us a review. It helps other people find us and learn more about what's going on in the world. Uh, and we'll see you all again next Monday for another edition of the News Agenda Explained. Bye bye.